2017, let's hear it. The loudest shout you've got in you. Give it to us. I need more than that. Good morning, TVC Familia. Yeah, oh, there. All right, that, was, that woke me up. I appreciate that. Welcome back. I have to say, I, have, uh, I was so encouraged by last week uh, and so grateful for what it was to gather together again in person. My name is Eric Solomon, and I am the Tri-Village Campus Pastor. Tri-Village Church is a campus of Wheaton Bible Church, and we are gathered here this morning to worship God. But before we step into that, I've got a couple things that I want to to bring to your attention because it is a little weird worshiping in this space right now, right? I want to acknowledge that uh, none of us have worshiped in a pandemic before, right? Like there wasn't a pandemic that that we were a part of before this, right? So this is an unusual way to gather with masks, with guidelines, uh, sanitation, six feet apart. This is not normal for us. And we all have different perspectives potentially on this pandemic in this very room. So before I get into even specifics, I want to say in this space right now, we want to show grace to one another. We want to show love to one another. What I said last week pertains again. We are part of a community as believers that gives up its rights for the other. We give up our rights for each other, right? So in this space, wearing masks is an act of love for others. You may not think you need to wear it. That's totally fine. But for other people, you are loving them by wearing that mask, and we appreciate that. The other thing I want to mention is part of what will feel unusual is that there's a couple things that have changed, right? Masks we talked about. We're also recording the entire service for those who can't be here with us this morning. That's a change. We're also not passing communion plates or offering plates around. Again, to to be cognizant, to think about the most vulnerable among us, we want to reduce the amount of contact we have in that way, even though those are Christian acts to give, to celebrate communion together. They're suspended in this moment again to give up our rights for the others. You might also notice as the service goes on that the average age in this space is going to be a little bit lower, right? For those who have brought children, students, I am so appreciative that you're here. This worship space this morning is not for adults only. It's for family, and family includes anyone from 5 years old to 72 years old, right? And so we want to welcome all of you into this space. We are grateful. We are a better community because of everybody being in this space, including children. Now, another few things, and this is the weirdest one I'm going to ask you to do, because I don't like doing it, but I have to do it. It, it, When you sing, again, I mentioned this last Sunday, I love to sing, 
I try to make sure the speakers are up before I do it, but I love to sing. But right now we're asking everybody to sing softly into your mask, again, to reduce spread. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't sing. That doesn't mean you shouldn't worship. I'll mention the bathrooms out here are the only ones that we're in use right now. And so if you need to use the restroom, it's available to you. And if you've got kids that are kind of getting squirmy, totally fine. This is family, a little noise. That's what family gatherings look like. But if you need to step outside, there is a kid's space out there. And Jennifer Westring will keep it sanitized and as safe as possible. Finally, you were seated by ushers in the sections you're in, right? Yes? yes. Let me get some response. Yes, right? Yes. Okay, what that means is at the end, when we dismiss... A little weird, but if you've been to a wedding, you know what it's like. Ushers are going to dismiss you by section, again, to minimize cross-contact. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't connect as a community. It just means get out to the parking lot as fast as possible so you can join the party out there. I'll be out there too, right? And I don't want to rain on the parade, pun completely intended. But I, I, as soon as you're dismissed, go straight out there and we'll connect out there. Sound good? Yes. Amen? Amen? All right. And now, worship team, please lead us. Good morning, church. Good morning, familia. It's good to be here this morning. Um, let me invite you to stand up. And I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 122. And Psalm 122 is part of this collection of psalms that the people of God used to sing as they were journeying their way through Jerusalem. And it's what is being uh, known as the Song of the Ascents. So right at the beginning of the Song of the Ascents, in Psalm 122, the first two verses says, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And then he says, our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Now, let's remember that this is happening with the people of God. It's uh, going to one geographically placed and it's specific and it's Jerusalem with the, the presence of God was dwelling in the temple. Now the presence of God dwells in the living temples, in the living stones. It's the church. But the same image that the psalmist is saying, I rejoice when they told me we're going to be together and we want to worship the Lord together. That's exactly what you and me are doing right here. And you can say, our feet and standing in your presence of God and in the presence of the people of God. And that brings joy to my heart. And then at the end of the chapter, you can read it later at home, Psalm 122. And the end of the chapter says, For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, one of the, th the things that like Pastor Eric was mentioning that is one of the awkward things about this pandemic is all these things that we cannot do we cannot greet one another with our hands, shaking our hands. But we can, we can wave from far away and just say, peace be with you. Peace with you. So just look around and see people around you. Just wave to them and say, peace be with you. We are the people of God and we are here together to worship the King. So let's pray and let's worship the Lord with joy in our hearts. Yes, Lord, we are here for your presence. For your glory. We are here to proclaim your goodness and your mercy. To rejoice in your salvation, O oh God. We are a sea of voices. We are a sea of voices. We are an ocean of your grace. Gather under one name We are a tide that's 
Peter chapter 1 says these words, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The living hope that you and I have today in Christ, it is possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Think about that. That is something completely outside of our emotions, outside of our feelings, outside of our circumstances. The resurrection of Jesus is, exists as an historical event. It doesn't matter how I feel this morning. It doesn't matter how my last week was. The resurrection of Christ is still the same. It still stands. And it's because of that resurrection that I have a living hope today. 
And then he says, keep, Paul, uh, Peter keeps saying, through that resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish. That's your inheritance, my inheritance. Can never perish, spoil or fade. fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, the people of God. Through faith, you through faith are shielded by God's power. You are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that it has to be revealed. And then he says this. Now, in this, you can rejoice. You can rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have suffered grief in different kinds of griefs. But he says, the word of God says, we can rejoice even in our griefs. And he says this. These trials that we are going through have come so that the proven genuineness of our faith that is more precious and worth than gold may result in praise and glory and adoration. So through trials, our faith remains anchoring Christ Jesus. And what remains, that brings glory and honor and adoration. And at the end of this paragraph says, So you have not seen him. You have not seen Jesus in the flesh. But you still love him. And even though you do not see him right now, you believe in him and are filled with an expressible and glorious joy. And that's our prayer for us as a church as we can proclaim the goodness of God. We're going to introduce a new song. And this song is called Christ our glory, Christ our hope. And I wanted to read this verse specifically before this song because we want to be reminded that it doesn't matter what we're going through. The resurrection of Jesus still stands. His promises still remain. And that's the anchor of our faith. And that's the source of our joy. And it's because of that that we can rejoice in the Lord today and have great hope and great joy. Let's learn this together and let's sing it together. That you will be the source of our joy, the source of our peace, the source of our hope. In you and only you, Jesus. Yes. Our rest is in heaven, our rest is night. Then why should we tremble? When trials draw near, be still and remember the worst that can come. But shortens our journey and hastens our home. Now raise 
tribulation and trial you're the king of our hearts king of kings lord of lords you are here with us you are here with us in the darkness we were waiting without hope without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and promise to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt oh, oh, yes. praise the father praise the
heaven held its breath till that stone was turned for good for the land had conquered yes. death and the death was from the tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who call to the Father are restored and the church of Christ was born then the spirit in the flame for this gospel truth Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer of our lives. By the power of your Spirit, Lord, we pray that you will be with your church, that you will edify your church, that you will make us more like Jesus, that we may love you more like Jesus loves you, that we will love people more like Jesus loves them, that, they, that we will serve people more like Jesus serves them. Build your church, Lord. As we come together in this service, in our services in North Avenue, Lord, as one family gathering, as churches around us worship today, build your church, Lord, for the glory of your name, in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. You may be seated, church. Thank you. Thank you, Sergio. Good morning. It's good to see you here today. Good to be here with you. Um, it's been a while, and it's so good to see so many familiar faces at last. So good to see all of you. Now, we're excited to gradually start meeting again. If you're here, I think you probably registered online. Future Sundays are going up, so register ahead of time to help us plan. Um, as Pastor Eric uh, said in the beginning, if you just walked in a little late, we do ask that you keep your masks on during the service. Just letting you know that the back of the building is closed, but the bathrooms are accessible right here by the elevator if you need to step out um, for, for any reason. And um, yeah, that's it. Register. Come back. We're so glad to see you here. 
Now, I have a few very quick announcements. The first one is CareFest. So those of you who have been here for a while, you know every year we have CareFest, usually in the month of May. And that's our way to connect with the community and serve the community with our gifts, with our talents, by working and serving with organizations or homes in the area who are in need of help. So it did not happen this year in May, but it's happening in the fall here in the Tri-Village area. Later, it's, I think November 7th is the date that I remember hearing. So November 7th, we will have projects here in the Streamwood area for you to connect with. So if you have any project ideas or if you know of an organization or a home here in the area that you'd like to suggest, hey, we could probably work with these people. Um, they need some help or we could probably connect with them and get to know them. Please submit your ideas at trivillagechurch.org slash carefest and let us know. That's how we hear. But also wanted to let you know that West Chicago Campus and IDP, they came together to do a Care Fest on August 8th in the DuPage County area. So if you want to participate in those projects, that's an awesome opportunity for you to do it. So you can register at wheatonbible.org slash carefest for the August 8th projects in the DuPage County. Um, and if you can't quite make it for August 8th, just hold on tight till November 7th and then we'll have stuff to do around here. Just wanted to put that on your radar. And registration open today. So if you want to register for August 8th, um, the registration form is open. You can register today. Now, uh, my second announcement is that I want to I read this because I want to make sure I get it right. But during COVID-19, many of our missionaries have been really stretched to the limit, including Vic and Dr. Leslie Troutwine, who I know personally, just wonderful people. They are in the DR in the Dominican Republic. The Trotwines um, head up Kids Alive, where they provide holistic care to over 2,000 at-risk students through schooling and orphanages and all sorts of different ministries. Now, with the students unable to attend school because of the pandemic, they quickly pivoted and became a relief agency during this time. So they have, over the past two months, regularly distributed food, food bags to over 1,200 households, and they provided immediate hunger relief to about 5,000 people. So thank you for your generosity, and because of your generosity, even during this time, our church was able to extend a grant to them so that they would be able to engage in these relief uh, efforts in their community, um, and also to provide family devotions, activities, and academic packages for the kids as they were unable to attend school during these past few months. So we heard back from Vic and Leslie and they just wanted to extend their thank you to you so much for partnering with them and being a part of this rescue team in the Dominican Republic. So thank you, thank you so much. And just wanted to remind you, if you want to be a part of this mission and other missions that, are, um, that our church supports, you there are a few ways that you can give to the church to support the global work that, that we're doing. You can text TriVillage to 77977. You can visit our website, trivillagechurch.org slash give and give there. You can deposit your gift in one of the offering boxes we have at the back of the room since we're not passing offering plates at this time. Or you can mail in a check. Just be sure you mail it to the West Chicago campus, not here. This building is not receiving our offerings. So make sure you go online and you check the address and you send it to the main campus if you'd like to. But thank you so much for being a part of, of this ministry here in the church. Well, it is a joy to celebrate what the Lord is doing through Wheaton Bible Church. I'm actually going to ask Carol to stay up here, and I'm going to ask the Lowe's to come 
up here as well because it is a, a very special Sunday, not just because we're singing together and not just because we're praying together and hearing from God's word together, but because we are, Wade is here. Surprise, I did not think Wade was going to be here. This is amazing. Um, I'm so glad he's here because I want to send these families out as a community into the next season that the Lord is calling them. Okay, this, these, I have only known them for seven weeks about and the Lord has already used them in my life, and I am incredibly grateful for the way the Lord has used, really, all of you guys um, in my life. But you guys have known them for years. I just got a taste. You guys have been able to, to drink in what the Lord was doing through these families. And we want to uh, honor them. We want to be grateful for what the Lord is doing, and we want to pray for them. But before we do that, before I pray for them, I want them to share from their hearts what they want to say to the TVC community. So I'm going to step back and let them speak first. So Carol, you got first dibs, and then Chad will go next. All right? Well, I just want to say thank you so much, TVC, for being our family for the past four, four years now. Almost four years. We are so grateful that you guys have taken us in and accepted us. I'm grateful for your patience with me as... I'm the least admin-y admin in the world. <laughs> I used to tell Will this. <laughs> like I'm, I'm the least likely person to be an admin. But the Lord, in his grace, put me in this position, and you serve where you're needed sometimes, and, and this was the season that the Lord um, put me in here and sustained, sustained me for, the, for, the, for this job. So I love you all deeply. I would hug all of you if it weren't for the pandemic. Um, but we are so grateful for the home we found here with our family and, and with our little one who's at home and the other little one who will be coming soon. So I just, just wanted to say thank you so much. Um, and I also wanted to thank Carol. Um, so um, Carol, she might say that she's the least admin admin, but thanks, Jim. Um, <laughs> But she also brought a lot of sanity to Will and myself, and we would not have been able to lead if it wasn't for Carol and Wade. And I don't say that jokingly, like, that's true. There are so many times that Carol would be like, that's a great idea, but not realistic. Um, <laughs> and, and so it's really, really helpful to have her wisdom um, and grace on our team. And so, Carol, we love you, and thank you so much for the way you faithfully served the church and, and represented Jesus, not just to them, but to us. Um, you've been a, a dear friend, and you've gotten me to say friend a lot. So I call people friend now because <laughs> of you. So, so thank you so much. Um, I also want to say thank you to all of you. Um, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without crying, but thank you all so much for the way that you've deeply loved us. Piper says thank you as well. Um, thank you for the way that, from the moment that our family came here, you guys have, have welcomed us um, I know I, I've said over and over, and we've said as a church that here you're, wanton, you're wanted, welcomed, and needed, and here you've made us feel wanted, welcomed, and needed. Um, we, we felt welcomed from the moment we came here. You, you guys loved us. You embraced us. You pursued us, and we felt wanted, and, and we got to exercise the gifts that the Lord has given us together, and, and as the church, uh, we felt needed as we shared together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, so thank you so much for being the church Thank you for, for reflecting Jesus to us, and thank you for the way that you've loved us and our family. It's been an honor and a privilege to serve as your pastor. It's been an honor and a privilege to step into this season of Tri-Village where things were uncertain for a while, and um, we, we are so thankful for the way that the Lord has blessed us and, and allowed us to, to be here at, at the moment when he brought us here. Um, I can't tell you how much we love you, and like, Carol, I want to give you all hugs, but we won't because... I don't want to be the person who gets all of you sick. Um, 
But thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I just want to say thank you so much. We love you. Yes, please. Yeah. It is extremely clear to me that the Lord has worked through you in their lives and through them in yours. Chad finished out here at the end of June and he's already moved in, although I'm sure there are boxes everywhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, at, at starting grad school at Wheaton College. And Carol is having a baby, as if you couldn't tell. Um, and this is her final Sunday in person for the safety of the baby and, and walking into the hospital. Now, before I pray, You'll notice I don't just have my iPad up here. I actually want to give each of you something. Um, and I broke some rules to do this, and it doesn't bother me. Um, this is for you, and this is for you. Now, this is two parts. This is a card in here, me writing thank you, but what's more important in the card is a number of you have written what, you, what they meant to you in that. Don't move, Eric. Um, it totally is me. It's the beard. I'll shave next time. No, I won't. Um, so there's some thank you notes in there from people in this community for you. But the second part is it's a print that I bought, and I hope it's not too cheesy because I loved it when I saw it, and you can pretend you love it right now, but it is a print of Philippians 1.3 that says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And I want you to feel the gratitude of us every time that we remember you and for what you've done here, but I also want it to be a symbol for you. When you see it, to do the most important thing I can ask of you to do for us, and that's to pray. To thank God for us, but to pray for us, because we need it. We need it as God's community. Now let me do the most important thing we can do, and pray. If you would mind stretching out your hands to these two families, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, reminding ourselves and rejoicing in the reality that you are king. Not only are you king, but you are a good and a just king. You have been faithful to us as your people, and we are grateful. And we thank you that as this good and faithful king, you bring people into our lives, and you send people out of our lives in your wisdom. And so we are grateful for what you have done through the Sartell family here, through the Low family here. We thank you for the cross and the resurrection that they have not only held on to, but taught us to hold on to. We thank you for the gospel that has bound us together, Father. We thank you for what you have done in this church as a whole through servants just like this. And we are grateful to not only be part of your family, but that together you have helped us participate in introducing people into that family and to rejoice with so many coming to you through the ministry of TVC. We ask you in this new season for both of these families, that you would continue to show yourself faithful to them. Lord, that you would continue to empower them by your spirit to live out their faith. Would you grant them strength in this new season of new babies and grad school? Help them to be faithful to what you are calling them into moment by moment. Would you help them to seek rhythms of rest and reminders of grace in this new season? And we ask the same for us as a body that you would empower us to be reflections of your gospel. Lord, that you would bring more and more people to come to know you. Would you make us all conduits of your grace 
avenues of your mercy and channels of your justice that we might speak truth to power and cry out on behalf of the oppressed in our communities. Lord, would you shape us as a true community, united in the gospel, humbly dependent upon Jesus, and truly active for your glory. It is in your name and to your glory that we commit this next season in the lives of the Sartells, in the lives of the Lowe's, and in the life of TVC. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Jayla. All right. Well, this morning, there are two sermons that are being preached within our larger church body at Wheaton Bible Church, and at least one of them is incredibly important. You see, Pastor Hannibal is preaching on Proverbs and Justice at our West Chicago and Iglesia de Pueblo campuses, and I want to start by saying it is an incredibly important word that I would love for all of you to listen to this week. It's an important word for our families, and I want to encourage you to listen to it. The other sermon is this one, and I'll let you decide by the end how important you think it is. And you might ask, why are there two sermons being preached at Wheaton Bible Church this Sunday? Well, I am so glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Last week, we actually began a new series here at TVC called True Community, a study in Philippians. You see, I want us to intentionally step into this study that might reflect this particular season at TVC of new beginnings. This is why I had us deviate from our regularly scheduled preaching calendar and why we'll continue to deviate for at least another few weeks. Last week, we started in chapter 1. We looked at Paul's prayer for the Philippians concerning their gospel partnership. This week, we're continuing our study by, by moving, transitioning into chapter 2. Remember last week, we considered gratitude. This week, we're going to look at humility. What it means to be a true community through the lens of humility. So I want us to turn to God's word, see what God has for us this morning. We'll be reading from Philippians 1, 27 through 2, 13, a little bit longer of a text, but I wanted to tie it all together. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, scroll on your phones, it's also going to be up on the screen. And you're normally going to sit for my words, but I want us to stand for God's words if you're able, and we'll read this passage. Philippians 1, 27 through 2, 13. Here we go. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you. On behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, 
did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is God's word. You may be seated. I'm going to adjust this because there's a creak in the stage and I'm going to be very distracted. I promise I won't fall. Back in 2010, a comedy writer named Harris Whittles started this Twitter handle to showcase something that kept popping up on social media. What was his handle? At Humblebrag. With enough content to fill a book called Humblebrag, The Art of False Modesty in 2012, and racking up 250,000 followers by 2015, it became pretty clear that the word humblebrag was new, but the concept wasn't. Just filed my taxes. Biggie was right. Mo money, mo problems. Hashtag humblebrag. The humblebrag is exactly what it sounds like. Trying to sound humble when really you're bragging. TVC, what does it mean to actually be humble? What is true humility? How do we become more humble? And, and why does humility, humility tend to feel so humiliating? You see, in a society where grace doesn't often grace the headlines or heads of state, how are we supposed to know what humility even looks like? Our passage this morning in Philippians gives us the truest picture of humility. This morning, we'll see that Paul in Philippians 1, 27 through 2, 13, positions humility right at the center of true community. And he does this by calling believers to live as gospel citizens. And this citizenship has three defining characteristics. It's up on the screen for you. True unity, true humility, and true activity. So if you're taking notes, this is how we're, where we're going this morning. We're to live as gospel citizens, and to do that, we need to be truly united, truly humble, and truly active. So let me start in 127 with this call to live as gospel citizens, and let me explain why I use that phrase. The context of this letter is really helpful in understanding what Paul is actually asking here in verse 27. You see, Paul, like I mentioned last week, is writing this letter from prison to an outpost of believers in a town called Philippi, which is actually an outpost of the Roman Empire, filled with Roman citizens who follow and worship the Roman emperor, not just as their ruler, but as their god. And there are all kinds of uh, rights and privileges and responsibilities that come with Roman citizenship. Like Paul talks about it, a right to a trial. Or even in all his writings, they have this responsibility to worship the emperor. 
This phrase here that he writes in 27, conduct yourselves, is actually the translation of this word that Paul uses to play on this experience of Roman citizenship in their lives and instead apply it to the gospel. Right? It, it, sound, it means more, something more like conduct yourselves like a citizen of the gospel. He's telling them to live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, live as gospel citizens. No matter what happens, whatever comes, remember that your allegiance, your truest, deepest allegiance is to King Jesus. And you are to live out that allegiance by living a life that is worthy of the good news of this true king, worthy of the gospel. But TVC, don't replace the word worthy here with the word earn. The Bible is not talking about some kind of a kingdom auditions where you try to show how valuable you are to team Jesus and then God makes final cuts. Right? These aren't tryouts because there is no way that you could try hard enough to make it to the team. That's the beauty of the gospel. Right? You were saved not on your own performance, but on another's. You were brought back into God's family because of what Jesus did. Now, no, no, no. Instead of earn, what the Bible is saying here is be. Be who you already are. Live up to the life that has already been given to you. Now, I am uh, what my father-in-law calls a, a dodo, a dad of daughters only. You thought I was going somewhere else. A dad of daughters only. It's a special club, at least I consider it to be a special club, that is filled with uh, snuggles and tea parties and lots and lots of dancing. I consider it a privilege to be able to raise two girls. But as they both grow, I have started saying this phrase. You know how you start saying things that your parents were saying to you? I start saying this phrase. This is how Solomons act. This is how Solomons live. Solomons are kind. Solomons are brave. We are gentle. We are courageous. What am I telling my daughters when I say that? I'm not telling them that they need to be those qualities in order to be part of this family. I'm telling them that they are part of this family and therefore they are to live into those qualities. In other words, they are to be who they already are. Solomons who are kind and brave and gentle and courageous. Christian this morning, living like gospel citizens, living a life worthy of the gospel is to live into who you already are in Jesus. And what is that? Well, the rest of this section clarifies. It is Christians who stand firm in one spirit, who strive together as one for the faith of the gospel, without fear, who believe and who suffer. The image here is of a community who is steady in their dependence upon the spirit, locked arm in arm in their gospel work, brave in the face of opposition, the image here is of partnership, of side-by-side -side ministry. This is church family. This is true community. A familia that relies on the Holy Spirit, holds tight to one another, and serves as a sign, a witness, a testimony, both to those outside who might oppose that community, but to those inside it serves both as judgment and as confirmation. The way we live out our gospel citizenship stands out as further judgment to others, and I'll get to that in a minute, and as further confirmation to us. It reminds them of what they don't have and grounds our confidence in what we do have. 
And what is it that we actually have? The free gift of grace from God. This isn't, when, when this says here, judgment to the outside, this isn't another way to play the comparison game. This isn't a way to be exclusive or make us feel superior. No, this is a reminder to those who reject God what they're missing and to us who accept God what we've been given. Not what we accomplished, what he accomplished and gave to us. And what have we been given? The free gift of grace. The gift of believing in him. But watch this. At the, in this section, it's not just belief that he's given us. Look at the second part of the gift. Just like I gave a two-part gift up here, Jesus gives a two-part gift here. Faith in him and the privilege of suffering for him. Now, this might be the time where you start patting your pockets, checking your cup holders, maybe opening your bag and trying to find the gift receipt because you kind of want to return the gift because who wants suffering as a gift? Suffering doesn't seem like much of a gift, right? But Paul is speaking right to the heart of where the Philippians are right from the heart of where he is. Remember, they are suffering persecution from every direction and Paul is sitting in a prison cell. Suffering is the air that they're breathing, right? He is trying to reach them where they're at from where he is at. But again, don't get it twisted. This is not all suffering at any time for any reason. This is suffering for Jesus, the Bible does speak about suffering in general and how it means to handle that. That's not in this text. That's for another time. But right here, this is the kind of suffering that makes someone lose friends over faith conversations. That stalls or even stops a career because you're that religious person. This is the kind of suffering that labels you as untrustworthy or dangerous because of certain beliefs that you might hold. Not suffering because you're rude or annoying or because we even live in a broken world. The Bible, again, talks about these sufferings in other places, but here it's suffering because of your identification with Jesus, because of your alignment with God, because your life has been marked by the gospel. And Paul considers this a gift. Hand in hand with faith is suffering. And living life as gospel citizens as this true community shaped by the gospel, united in the Holy Spirit, unafraid, working side by side for the faith, will bring suffering. And it's not just the side effect. It's part of the gift, which is why Paul moves into chapter 2 by explaining what it will look like to stay united in the middle of this suffering. I don't know what you all as a community have experienced this past year as you've lived out your faith in your jobs, in your neighborhoods, I don't know what it's cost you. But as we continue to step into what God is calling us, I want you to get ready, TVC, because there will be suffering. Amen. And the only way we're going to make it through that, the only way we're going to stand firm in that is to stand firm together. It's not an accident. It's the path of Jesus. We are following our Savior King it means we're in good company. So let me show you what I mean. Chapter 2, verse 1. Here in this next section, we jump into our second defining character, our first defining characteristic of true unity. We talked about living as gospel citizens, and here is our first defining characteristic of what it means to do that. True unity. In these four verses, we see that Paul is, is giving this characteristic of true unity 
as the way in which we're going to survive in the middle of suffering. Now, unfortunately, that word unity tends to get tossed around a whole lot. And like many words that get tossed around a lot, it's become a cliche. It's overused, overly familiar, commonplace. We don't even really know what it means to be united anymore. So I want to let the text here define what true unity means. First four verses of chapter 2. Paul here stacks phrase upon phrase upon phrase upon phrase to describe true unity. And he begins with this word, therefore. And if you were listening as I was reading, that word therefore shows up a lot in this passage. What that means is that what he's about to write, what you're about to hear, is based upon, founded in, and follows from what he's already written. Because we are to live as gospel citizens, no matter what happens, Because we're to stand firm as one, because we have been given the gift of both believing in him and suffering for him, because of all this, consider the following. That's what Paul is saying with therefore. And what follows that therefore? A bunch of ifs. He doesn't stop stacking, right? This is a stacking phrase upon phrase. If you possess encouragement from your unity to Jesus, comfort from the love of Jesus, share together in the spirit of Jesus, and are in any way tender and compassionate with each other like Jesus, then do this. I'm going to step back before we talk about what he's actually asking them to do. I want you to see that picture that he paints with a bunch of the words, if. Right? If this is true, and after what Paul has written to them already in Philippians, we know that it is. If this is true in TVC, after all the stories that I've heard, and the coffee, and the lunches, and the late night conversations I've had with, with many of you, I know this is true of you as well. Paul isn't here being sarcastic with the word if. He's being encouraging. He's pastoring them. If you've been encouraged by the reality that you are in Christ, and I know you have. If you have been helped and supported by the incredible love he has shown, and I know you have. If you have shared together, taken part together, partnered together in the Spirit, and I know you have. If you have been so impacted by Jesus that you are tender and compassionate with others, and I know you are, if this is all true, then obey this command from me. What is the command? There's only one here in this section. There's only one. Paul says, make my joy complete. Oh, that's a little anticlimactic. Eric, you were working up to something, weren't you? What in the world does make my joy complete mean? Here's why this matters. He's asking them to fill his joy to the top. Like a, like a kid at a, a soda fountain mixing all the sodas and uh, kind of dangerously full trying to walk back to the table. Fill it up to the point where if I put a lid on it, it's going to overflow. Paul wants the Philippians to mix all these things up, all these ifs, all the things that he knows that are in them already to complete his joy. And what is the joy that he's asking them to complete? It's Unity. Over and over again, the phrases he uses in the next couple verses is unity. Right? He says, by being like-minded, by having the same love, same, by being one in spirit and in mind, and then he switches. What? By refusing selfish ambition and vain conceit, by being humble, living according to a different value system. What does that have to do with unity, Eric? Okay, let me break it down. Paul here says, be like-minded, have the same love. 
And he doesn't mean, TVC, listen, he doesn't mean have this kind of hive mentality where you're a bunch of drone workers following the one queen. No, he's not squashing difference by telling them to be like-minded or have the same love. This isn't uniformity. This is true unity. And true unity not only allows for difference, it celebrates it. And yet, true unity requires like-mindedness. It requires the same love. We have to go in the same direction, otherwise we're never going forward. Now, I never enjoyed field day in elementary school when I I grew up in South Miami. You can imagine it was a a hurricane of little kids screaming, popsicles flying, humidity dripping, and everybody trying to win these uh, plastic little trophies, which, don't get me wrong, those trophies were the bomb, but I wasn't particularly excited to participate in that chaos even as a child. And in this chaos, there was this game that I never quite understood. It was a three-legged race. That game just ain't for me. You mean me and someone else are going to have to uh, tie our legs together, and I have to convince that person that we need to move at the same time, in the same rhythm, and the same cadence, as they try to convince me to do the same, and if at any point any one of us changes it, we're going to fall flat on our face. Nah, see, that's that's not going to work for me. But that's what unity is. You and me tied together in Jesus, going in the same direction. And the only way we're going to move forward is together. The difference here from the three-legged race is that neither you nor I get to call the shots. Jesus calls the shots. Jesus is the one telling us where we're going. And we are united with Christ. And in him, we are united with each other. True unity is like Minded. True unity has the same love. True unity is one in spirit and mind. But true unity is not uniformity. And here's how I know that's true. Look at the next line. Instead of selfish ambition or vain conceit, that word vain conceit is literally the word there for empty glory. Instead of these motives, we are to be motivated by the interest of others. How can that be if we're all trying to be uniform and operating the same, Right? If we're supposed to give up for the interest of others, what if all of us are the same interest, how are we supposed to operate? If there's no difference, there's no opportunity to value others above yourself. So hear me on this. The beauty of true unity is that it shines brightest in difference, in diversity. But it can only do so with a different value system. So I'm trying to uh, teach my oldest about money. My sister got her this uh, toy cash register, and I'm trying to show her the difference between a a 20 and a 5, a quarter and a dime. And if any of you have kids, you know that that doesn't happen for a while. She's only three. But we play a game called Store. And if anyone has played any games with kids, you know that the the rules are ever-changing, and you never quite know what the rules are. And in Store, it appears that I am uh, instantly transported to another world where I have yet to figure out the currency. Cake is $20.00. Books are a quarter, and I always get the same amount of money that I paid back in change. The value system is different. When we consider what's necessary in true community, in a community that is truly united, we must realize that we are part of another world. We are citizens of a different country. And living as gospel citizens, our value system is different. Here, we value others above ourselves, right? Here, we don't look to our own interest, but to the interest of other people. Here, we aren't worried about not enough for me, but more than enough for you and you and you and all of us. 
Here, we lay down our self-interest and we pick up readily and with joy others' interest. So do you see what would it look like if we valued others above ourselves in this community? What would it look like if we refused to run this uh, corrupted operating system we've been trying so hard to work of not enough and instead ran the updated version, right? The Jesus version, more than enough for everybody because we follow the true king, the creator king. TVC, if we want to be a true community, truly united, then this is the path that's set before us. A path of giving up for the sake of others. A path of vulnerability and risk and faith because we have to trust that others will look out for us. It's a path of humility with a different value system. But if humility is what's required for true unity, then what is true humility? Right? Here's our second defining characteristic in verses 5 through 11. The first was true unity. Live as gospel citizens, and to do that, you have to be truly united. The second is true humility. And if true unity requires humility, Paul says in this passage, look no further than Jesus for what that means. Have the same mind as Jesus. The same attitude, the same disposition as Jesus. Think and act and live like Jesus. Right? This is the biblical uh, representation of the 90s slogan, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Nah, y'all don't get, I'm a 90s baby, so that stuff hits home. What would Jesus do? This is what Jesus would do. And here Paul does something beautiful in telling us what that would be. In this text is one of the most poetic and, and explicit descriptions of who Jesus is and what he did for us. And I got to put this disclaimer in here uh, because I am who I am. There is a lot to be mined here. There's a, there's a lot of theological gems to be dug up and looked at. We don't have time for all of that. I wish we did. Take three hours and we would go. But I'm not going to do that to you this morning. But I would encourage you this week to look at this text, to take a quiet time, to read through this text, to meditate on this text, to circle, to write notes. It's not a sin to write in your Bible. Read through this text. Let the gospel wash over you. This morning, we can still let the gospel wash over us as we go through these next few verses. So starting in verse 5 through verse 7, we see this scene from the perspective of heaven. Jesus, who was fully and completely God, no doubt about it. Jesus, who is God, did not consider, did not hold on to his equality with God as leverage for his gain. Jesus, who was God, did not consider his godhood his rights and privileges as God, something to be leveraged for his own gain. In other words, refusing any kind of selfish ambition, he became nothing. He emptied himself. Now, don't get this wrong, he did not cease to be God, but he did show himself to be a servant. He refused any kind of vain conceit, any kind of empty glory, any opportunity for empty glory. Instead, he emptied himself of the benefits of being God. And as the church father Athanasius writes, he became what we are so that we might become what he is. He emptied himself that we might be whole again, that we might be full again. Look at verse 8. He switches from the perspective of heaven and he goes from the perspective of earth. From heaven down, we see Jesus emptying himself. From earth up, we see him become human. And don't get tripped up on the phrases that he writes here. Human likeness or the appearance as a man. Jesus was not pretending. This wasn't a magic trick. He wasn't faking it. 
he actually and truly became a human being. Now, you and I don't know the difference because we've always been human. If you haven't, you can talk to me afterwards, but we've always been human. But Jesus himself, the Bible here says, he humbled himself as God became human, brought himself low, and took on flesh, an experience he hadn't had before. He got hungry. He was thirsty. Jesus ugly cried. Jesus got angry. Jesus became human. He knew what it was like to be human, which means, like this text tells us, that eventually he learned what it was to die. The humility of Jesus became the humiliation of Jesus on the cross as he died the death that you and I should have died for our own rebellion. Surrounded by hateful men, spitting on him, mocking him, shaming and abusing him, Jesus took it. But he didn't just take it. He took it with joy. Hebrews 12.2 says us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And here is the shock of true humility, as Paul paints it here. It doesn't stop at nice thoughts or gestures. It follows all the way through, all the way through to humiliation. There's um, a Mother Teresa quote that Carol introduced me to this week when we were studying this passage in our staff meeting. Mother Teresa said this. She said, we learn humility through accepting humiliations cheerfully. Now that's an otherworldly response. Scratch that. That is a Jesus response, a God response. I don't like to multiply quotes, but I had to include this one. A Bible scholar talking about a God response writes this about this passage. Listen to this. He says, In pouring himself out and humbling himself to death on the cross, Christ Jesus has revealed the character of God himself. Here is the epitome of God-likeness. The eternal, the preexistent Christ was not a grasping, selfish being, but one whose love for others found its consummate, its perfect expression in pouring himself out and taking the role of a slave and humbling himself to the point of death on behalf of those he loved. What Jesus did on the cross was godlike. And everyone in this room has to deal with the reality that Jesus loved us so much that he left heaven and he gave up his rights as God, emptied himself and took on the limitations of our own flesh, filled himself with the restrictions of human flesh, walked this earth, and filled his life and relationships with broken, hurting, oppressive, and oppressed people in order to save us, in order to save anyone who comes to him and believes in him and recognizes their hopelessness without him, their brokenness, their own rebellion. This is what it took. I said this last week, but TVC, you and I, you already know the worst thing about me, that Jesus had to come and die for me, that I am that bad. But you and I, we already know the best thing about each other, that he was willing to do that, that he actually did it, that he loved us enough to do it. So what is humility? This text teaches us humility is considering others better than yourself, valuing others above yourself. Humility looks like death on a cross. Don't get it twisted, TVC. This is not about hating yourself. It is not about considering yourself less than. It is considering others more than. It is not about considering yourself as less than, 
but considering others as more than. And there is a difference. I mean, look at Jesus. Read the gospel. It's pretty difficult to find Jesus in any one of the gospel stories throwing himself a a, a pity party, complaining about himself, about how hard his life is to his friends, being insecure. Humility is not weakness. Humility is the strongest characteristic there is because in humility, the strong do not access their strength. The powerful do not access their power. Instead, the one with all strength and power, Jesus, gave it up in order to die for those he loved. And because of that, look at verses 9 through 11. God exalted Jesus. He is worthy of all honor and glory precisely because of what he suffered. Precisely because of his humility. That's what the text is saying. And yes, Paul is telling believers to have the same kind of mind as Jesus. But keep in mind that I am not Jesus, that you are not Jesus. The only reason we can even have this mind is because he had it first. He is not just our example. He is our way back to God. He is the one who brought us into the kingdom of God. He is the one who made us gospel citizens. It is because of him that we can even live as gospel citizens. So the answer to the question of how we become more humble is not to try harder or do more. It's to grow closer to Jesus. Do you see if we want to be a true community that is truly united, then we have to be truly humble. And in order to be truly humble, then we have to truly be following Jesus. All of us. Not just you. Me too. Right? I'm not up here standing above you telling all of you down there how to be humble. I'm up here standing under the word of God hearing all of us need to be humble. Leaders too. Volunteers too. We all need to be humble. And I can't stress this enough. I said it last week, I'll say it again. We do not generate the ministry of God. This is part of what it means to be humble. We do not make God's work work out. No, we join him where he's already working. And the place where God is already working, according to this passage, is a place that is always marked out by humility. So we've taken up the command. Live as gospel citizens. In order to do that, we have to be truly united. We have to be truly humble. So here's our third characteristic. We also have to be truly active. True activity When I say true activity, I'm telling you it's true both because it requires us to be active, but also because it is grounded in the one who was already active on our behalf. Because of what he has done, he has been exalted, which means that our obedience is to be marked by fear and trembling. Look at the last part of our passage, verses 12 and 13. We are in awe now, right, of Jesus the exalted one, of the one that the world will be in awe of then. I'll say that again. We are in awe now of the one that all of creation will be in awe of then. And while every knee will bow and every tongue will acknowledge his lordship then, Christians do so now. They obey in awe with fear and trembling, knowing just how incredible Jesus is. But that's not it. Paul is very clear to double back and explain that this obedience, though truly active, is not alone, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It is the living God who is at work in believers to change not just what we do, but what we want to do. All for his glory, to accomplish his good work. Like electricity out of an outlet that's always on, Martin knows about this, electricity that's always on, 
God empowers us to work out our salvation, but we still have to turn on the light. We are to be truly active in order to live as gospel citizens. We have to be united, we have to be humble, but in order to be in true community, there has to be a level of participation that we have to have. We have to actually do something. I don't want us to get carried away and think we're lone rangers doing things on our own, that we make it happen or we're self-sufficient. Remember the second half of this verse? True activity does something, but it holds tight while it does that thing to God-given empowerment for the glory of God and the good of his people, for the good of true community. So if you're a Christian here this morning, the call that Paul lays out before the Philippians is laid out before us. Are we going to live our lives in allegiance to King Jesus? Are we going to live as gospel citizens? What will that look like here in our community? What will it look like to put on full display that our loyalties at their deepest are to Jesus and to his people? Well, if that's going to come out at all in our community, the way forward is to be marked out by true unity, true humility, and true activity. We have to seek actual, real, hear me, messy, vulnerable, gracious, loving, truth-filled unity. Unity that hurts because it's unity that asks us to lay down our rights for each other. We must be truly humble. Imitating the life of Jesus, depending on the work of Jesus, we follow his lead, understanding that without him, we wouldn't even have a path to follow. We've got to be truly active. Realizing and acknowledging our dependence upon God to change our desires and our actions, but also actually living it out. Interrogating our own lives. Where are we out of step with the gospel? Where is God by his spirit pressing on our hearts? Where are we seeking uh, anti-Christ attitudes and postures, otherwise known as selfish ambition or vain conceit, empty glory? But I also want you to listen. I know you had to register to be here, but I don't want to assume that everybody is a Christian here. I am so glad you're here if you're not sure you're a Christian. I am so glad you heard this this morning because this wasn't just for the Christians. This was for you too. If you're not sure if you really believe this, I'm glad you heard what Jesus did for you, what kind of life he's calling you into. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11 in response to this message. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you're not a Christian this morning, Jesus is calling to you. These are his words to you. I gave up everything for you because I loved you and I still love you. It doesn't matter if you were, thought you were a Christian before, if you were living in a Christian family and you, you walked away, I still love you. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. And Christians, you need to hear this too because we need to be reminded that it didn't matter where we were at in our lives if we thought we had it all together or if it had been all in pieces on the ground. He still loved you enough to die for you. And he came back to life for you. And he is calling you into that life. Let me end with this. 
In April 2015, there's this uh, article that appeared in the New York Times, and it began like this. It was not until a fire official switched off the ignition in a 2010 Silver Buick on Friday that the carbon monoxide stopped spewing into a two-story brick and stone home. By then, the owners who were in their 80s were dead, as were their tenant and a friend. There were no carbon monoxide detectors inside the house, fire officials said. Family members and neighbors grappled with the idea that in the absence of carbon monoxide detectors, the four people had apparently not realized what was happening. Of all the things to pass away from, she had no fight, said a relative. She couldn't fight that. Something as simple as carbon monoxide you'd think you'd live through. Tim Keller once wrote, Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing. TVC True Community functions like carbon monoxide detectors. Truly united, truly humble, truly active, rooted in the gospel, we are able to alert each other of the dangers that pride has in our own lives before it suffocates us. We are able to call each other to humility. The question before us is, will we actually continue to fight side by side in the gospel so that we might truly be the community that God has called us to be? Will we actually be vulnerable enough, humble enough to step into that kind of family? That pride might not suffocate us, but that we might be filled, filled with the Spirit of God, working out the plan of God, that He is working good purposes through us, throughout our communities. Not just on Sunday. Guys, this isn't, this isn't the game. This isn't the Super Bowl. This is the huddle before we go out this week. This is what God is calling us to. Let's pray that we might live worthy of the gospel this morning. Pray with me. Father, we are before you humbled by what you have done for us in Jesus. God, you have given your life that we might live for you and we pray that by your spirit you might step into new, that we might step into new opportunities, that we might participate in the work that you have laid before us to live that out this week. We are grateful for how you have done that among us these past few years. We are grateful for your servants that have helped us to do that, for the Sartells and for the Lowe's. Would you continue to empower them, to empower us for your work, that we might all live as gospel citizens in this next season? Would you change our desires, our actions, our loves, and our reactions that we might no longer live out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, seeking empty glory where it cannot be found, but that we might truly be united side by side for the gospel, that you might keep our minds and our hearts and our lives focused on the humility of Jesus, that by doing so, we might both worship and imitate our Savior. May you make us truly humble in this next season. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we stand and Respond to the Lord. Surrendering. Surrender, Lord. Selfish ambitions and self-interest. We surrender at the feet of the one that loved us, loves us today. The one that we are in awe. Surrender. Let's sing. Our crowns at the feet.
Jesus, the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, and we cry, holy, 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 we cry, holy, holy, holy. fall down. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. We up together in gratitude and humility. Let's sing one last time with our voices. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. TVC, I ended last week just like this, and I'm going to do it again. For the next few weeks, I want you to receive these final words from the end of Philippians. Before we do that, remember, you're going to be dismissed by sections. I'm running out to the parking lot. Even if it's raining, I'll be out there. Join the party. Love to connect with you. If you're not a Christian, come talk. If you have questions, come talk. If you just want to meet me, come talk. Receive these final words from the book of Philippians. May it be an encouragement and a challenge to each of us to become who we already are in Christ. May it launch us into our week. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, 
And may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. TVC, go in peace. Oh, I'm not losing hope Cause I know that my God